I tell everybody, you have to have a reason to get up every morning. And my motto is, where are our brother's keeper? And so if we can help other people enhance their lives or others can, can provide services to other people, then that, that's what really makes your life rich. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest that we get the fortunate opportunity to chat with. He started out at the ripe old age, you guys, of nine years old in rural Texas, working at his family's grocery business. During his teenage years, he spent most Saturdays and summers sweeping the floors and learning the ins and outs of the business until after graduating college, where he then worked the night shift, loading trucks for a year and a half. He worked in the family business for nearly five decades, running it as a CEO. And for 30 of those years, he built that company up into a wholesale grocery business worth $19 billion. In 1990, he sold the McLean company to Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart, and he became the vice chairman of Walmart. In 1992, he decided he needed a new challenge and he purchased the Houston Astros baseball team, eventually taking the team to the World Series and building them a new stadium. His name is Drayton McLean, and he's on the podcast today. Drayton, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing terrific. It's a beautiful day in Central Texas. It's going to be 82 degrees here. Winters in Texas aren't bad at all. I lived down the road in Austin for a couple of years, and yep. uh, except for those those few storms that we would have on occasion, where it wipe out the power. But other than that, you know, it wasn't too bad down there. Well, it's a great place to live, but uh, in my business career. I built grocery distribution centers all over the United States and international. So I, I traveled a great deal and that's the beauty of America and the world. Absolutely. So you have a good friend and I have a good friend, Paul Ruder, and we just like to give a shout out to him for connecting us. And he told me something really interesting about you. He said, when you used to meet somebody, you would write down their details on a note card, and then you would send a follow-up letter on Friday after meeting them, telling them why it was great to meet them and how you appreciated uh, getting to know them a bit. And I would imagine that this was a really great way for a person to build an incredibly well-connected network you know, before the ages of social media. Now people do that on occasion with Facebook and LinkedIn and all the things. But before we dive into the interview, I'd like to know, I want to hear in your own words, why did you do that? And then what did you get out of that? Well, the note cards were these notes right here. A oh, card wow. that I put in my pocket. And then as I met people, I would either get their business card or <clears throat> write their name down. And, and what really runs business is relationships. And as you extend your relationship, you, you know people in various businesses, and it's amazing as you develop as a leader, these come back to you and you, you, you harvest these relationships. And that's what I think the, the podcast that you do here is expressing ideas. And so this is where, you know, in the era we've had in the last three years, work from home is not going to work long term because you're sitting home isolated by yourself. And what really makes business go is be around people that really excite you, give you big ideas, and you get charged up to move forward. Real question, real quick. Have you been on a podcast before? I've been on a number of different podcasts before. 
I was wondering if this was your first one. No, I've done a number of them. And people ask me why you do this here. I'm 86 years old. So they say, why do you do that? I'm going to learn more from this experience than anybody that's in your audience is going to learn. So I learned by the questions and the thoughts and having to really re-examine what you've done and why you've done it. And then the most important thing, where are you headed? Yeah. Well, I think that says a lot because it seems like the people that live the longest and have the most youthful lives are the ones always learning. And tell us real quick, like why at 86 years old, are you still wanting to learn? Well, just of what you're saying there, I tell everybody, you have to have a reason to get up every morning. And I get up about 4.30 in the morning so I can get a head start and I get to the office about 7.15 and I stay until 4 or 5 that day. And uh, it's, it's invigorating to be around people like yourself that you can ask questions of them or they give you questions or you get a joint idea of where you're going to work together. So teamwork is what's really, really good and, and where you can assist and help people. Uh, my motto is we're are our brother's keeper. And so if we can help other people enhance their lives or others can, can provide services to other people, then that, that's what really makes your life rich. So I think just interacting with them, and even in the grocery business, I was in the grocery distribution business. We bought from big, big manufacturers like Procter & Gamble, General Mills, General Foods, all these big companies. And then we would redistribute it to the supermarkets and convenience stores and restaurants all over the United States. And I would even invite our competitors to come see us and not take them to our facilities. And they thought they were learning from me. I'd learn from them. I'd figure them out. <laughs> you got to keep your enemies, your friends close and your enemies closer, right? Is that the old saying? <laughs> Take us through that mindset though. Like, because a lot of people, I think, get hesitant about sharing their secrets with enemies, even being transparent. Like they're, they're, they're scared or worried about being transparent about their financial numbers or, or strategies they use in their business. What was your logic behind inviting your competitors into your own facility? You would get to know them. And part of my strategy was is there's no real secrets in business. And people think, well, now that we're in the computer age that we're in, uh, and there's no secrets, but there were no secrets back in the 60s when I first got started. They could figure out, could figure out what you were doing, and they could try to emulate them. And one of the reasons I said that our competitor, we use technology, this was back in the 60s and 70s, much faster than anybody else at that time. And uh, our executives say, well, you're showing our competitors our technology. I said, great, because they're going to spend the next two to three years to get where we are today. And by the time they get this done in three years, we'll be way down the road. We will have gone way past what we're doing today. And so they're still stuck with trying to emulate what we're already doing. So don't be afraid that business is not that secret. I like that. So you're a wealth of knowledge. And I think one thing that really stood out that I learned about you is that um, your parents had you working at nine years old. Now, in the, in the 40s, you know, in rural Texas, that probably wasn't too uncommon. But take us back to that. At nine, I think it was probably 1945 for you. Take us back into the early days of you as a kid. And what, what was your parents, your father and your grandfather having you do? small town, 
in Texas that had about 5,000. So everybody knew everyone. And my dad had the largest business in the town. He had about 62 or three employees. And he was in the wholesale grocery business. And my dad learned from his dad, and, and they both had a great work ethic. I had no idea why he was doing it to me. But when school was out at the end of May, it let me stay home and play with my friends for a week. And then the next Monday, he would turn the light on in my room about six o'clock in the morning and said, we're going to leave in 30 minutes to go to the office. And I remember the first time or two, I got up and turned the light off after he left. <laughs> and back and said, don't ever do that again. So anyway, he was teaching me a work ethic. I, I was not doing anything sophisticated and really, you know, was not doing anything complicated, but it was just being around, these were working class, these were blue collar people that were working in a warehouse. And, and I would be around those people and I learned how to understand them. And my father was teaching me a work ethic. He was teaching me to be around people and to express myself and to be comfortable around these people. And I think that's why later in life when I was an adult, it was easy that I had been around these type of people for a long period of time. Okay. For the people that have built billion dollar companies, we've had about 15 or so of them on the show. And I always ask them the same thing. It may take a little thinking on your end. So apologize for the, the challenging question here. If you were going to take you know, your time from starting work as a teenager to the time you sold McLean company and you, you divided that into chapters. What would you call each chapter and why? Well, you know, when you were just working as a teenager or in a young adult, as you were going to college, you weren't in the strategy of the business and dealing with the executive levels you were working and the, the routine of the business. So you, you were learning that. Later, when I, uh, when I got out of college, I had to come to my dad and ask him for a job. I, I've got to give him a lot of credit. He never said, hey, son, I want you to come into business with me or I want to be, you to be my partner. He never mentioned to me. And so when I got out of college, I came down to see my mother and dad. And I told him that I would like to doing business and be working with him. And so I had to really uh, apply for the job. And then I was shocked. I thought I was going to be my dad. He had about 70 something employees in. And I, I thought I was going to be his assistant. And he told me I would be on the third shift at night loading trucks. <laughs> I've been to college for six years. And he said, that doesn't qualify you for anything we do. Uh, said, you need to learn this business from the ground up. And I appealed to my mother and she said, no, nope, it's going to be between you and your dad. So I started off and I worked for, for over a year and a half uh, working on the third shift. That was the best thing he could have done for me, but I didn't like it at the time. <laughs> and, and then when after I'd done that, I surely didn't go to the office there. I worked in other parts of the distribution and the transportation. And you learn the people, you learn the systems that they were doing. And that's what I tell young people. I, I make talks at university. They said, where should I start in business? And I said, whatever company you go to work for, tell them you want to start at the very bottom of that business. And you want to work up it 
your education and your experience, you can zoom and uh, and you, you learn how to bit and you'll see the good things they're doing, you see the bad things they're doing. So that that's the first phase of, of initially getting out of school and, and learning of business and learning how the steps in the business and what it takes to be successful. So th that's certainly the beginning stages. And then trying to move forward is more as an executive is certainly the next step in a business. And that takes two or three years. And I just see rambunctious people that have all kinds of degrees, particularly MBAs, and they say they want to be the executive vice president. They don't have a clue. <laughs> and uh, you need to learn the steps along the way. Yeah, uh, a, lot, a lot can be learned from looking at the U.S. Army, military, the Navy, whatever. You can you can go to go to West Point and, and boy, they train you immaculately. But you start as a second lieutenant, just like the guy that was in ROTC at Baylor uh, starts as a second lieutenant to see how they rise up. And so you've got to go through the steps. I can run circles in business around people that, that just didn't have the experience in the business. People hired hot shots in their business that came in here. We did that smart of every day. <laughs> you know, that's something that I, I heard a, a guy speaking that had that buys a lot of businesses. And before he buys a business, he goes in and he works for that business he's thinking about buying and he starts at the bottom. He doesn't start at the top and he starts sweeping the floors and taking out the trash and, you know, working with the employees. And it's an incredible strategy because it's, it's very intelligent to do. And you said, you know, MBAs don't have a clue and, and I can kind of vouch for that because I have an MBA and, you know, <laughs> that was not the end of my education. Not even, I wouldn't even call yeah. that close to the beginning. I had, that's why my, I said, Dad, I've I got six years of college. I've got an MBA <laughs> from Michigan State. It doesn't qualify you for anything. That was the best <laughs> advice you ever gave me. It's very true. What, what do you think about young entrepreneurs now today that don't even go to college? They just skip right over and start businesses. Like, we've talked to quite a few of them. What's your thoughts on that? You know, I have built my plane company, and I was about the 67th employee, and we built the business, and, and we grew it. We built a new distribution center away from this small town in a larger town, Temple, Texas. Town today is about 85,000. Then it was about 45,000, 30,000. Uh, and we built it, and, and for 32 consecutive years, we grew the business 30% per year for 32 consecutive years. But we, we, we developed a lot of executives. The smartest person, when, when we merged with Walmart, we had 16,000 employees. The smartest person in McLean County, his name was Neil McCarty. He never went to college. He just was intuitive. And and he was a deep thinker, and he could he. He saw the steps and the strategy. And so don't label people by how many degrees they got or what university they went to. It doesn't matter. It, it's the guy that can really relate and has a niche for running a business. Mm. So don't get hung up on degrees. 
Hey listeners, real quick, I wanted to tell you about our trips and adventures for entrepreneurs. We have live events in different locations around the world, luxury trips to the Caribbean, adventurous trips to knock off your bucket list, and of course, some private business events as well. If you're an entrepreneur, we'd love to have you join us. Make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at thebusinessmethod.com to stay updated. And for those established entrepreneurs out there that want to be involved in a community that is curated specifically for seasoned business minds, then we have a group for you. Inside this group, we have private live events in different locations around the world specifically for our members. We get those members in a place where they can connect, collaborate, and grow their companies faster just by being around one another. We also organize private podcast viewings and Q&A sessions with some of the world's top entrepreneurs like Jim Rogers, Alex Hermosi, the CEO of Chipotle, the marketing mind behind GoPro. And as a member of our group, you'll get to hop on calls with our podcast guests regularly to ask them any questions you want. And the last benefit is access to private world-class masterminds that are specifically curated for whatever challenges you're going through at the time. Our purpose with this private community is to help you expand your network, connect with some of the brightest minds in business today, and help one another overcome business challenges faster. You can learn more about our community at thebusinessmethod.com. Remember, subscribe to stay updated. And now, let's hop into today's show. Drayton, we're going to have some people come in and ask you some questions really quick. Now, I know most of these people, so I think they'll be nice to you, but uh, you guys don't pick on Drayton any, but if they do, if they do, if you do, you poke them right back. Okay. First person up, Adam Anderson, come on in, turn on your video and your microphone and, and have at it. Have at it. I love that. All right. Great. And this has been fantastic. My question is around being the chair of the board. So I've got two companies that I chair and I feel like when the CEO shows up for a board meeting, we hear him lecture and then we're almost like looking for something he's doing wrong. I'd love some guidance on how do you help CEOs? How do you be a better chair of the board? And then how do you use a board to help a company rather than just be some kind of compliance entity? I'm not the biggest believer in boards. And I'm a big believer in that CEO, that entrepreneur that knows how to run a business. I thought my, my view of a board, and I'm on a lot of charity board, but my view of a board is to set the goals of the, of the business. What are the what are you going to do? The second one is set the values. I'm big on having noble values, whatever you do. So the goal of a board is to set what, what's the business, what's the purpose of the business, what are the values of the business, and then the last one is to hire and fire the CEO. That's the most important thing the board does. And how are you going to measure the CEO. They can monitor through monthly reports. I was on a board one time, a, a, a public board. They had several manufacturing plants around the United States. They required that a board member had to go and spend three days at three different manufacturing plants every year, not just show up for a board meeting and say, now what is it we do here? <laughs> and I thought that was very effective. They had to go to three manufacturing plants, this company had a big company, and spend three days there and not sit in the boardroom at that plant, but to go through the plant. And then when they had a board meeting, they would have the board members say, now tell us what you saw in our operation since the last board meeting. So it's not just the financials you've got to do. Hiring, firing the CEO, setting the goals, how you're going to measure him. And, you know, most 
companies say we're going to measure what the financial, but how are they doing with their employees? You know, the employees are the greatest asset you got, and you don't put them on the balance sheet. So how is he doing with the employees? The employees like so the the board and then set the strategy and the values and then hold him accountable for those. So most of the board meetings, the really good ones, don't waste more than a couple of hours every quarter. They're, they're not running to the details of it. That's what you're hearing as CEO to do. It's fantastic. You're, Thank also you. paying, you're also paying in big bucks. That's the idea, right? Let's get what we paid for. You bet. And hold him accountable. <laughs> and then one last one is, you know, you, you see businesses grow by a strong leader, but is he developing leaders behind him? I've just seen too many companies that were started by an entrepreneur. He's the CEO, and he really doesn't have much talent behind him. And my motto that I used in McLean Company and I've tried to on boards is what happens when the CEO gets sick? Mm, that's a great question. We get too wrapped up in the, the dynamic CEO that's really growing that business. And, and the reason I did that, that, I said we grew our company 30% per year. This was about six or seven years. I hired a really good consultant, a leadership consultant out of New York City. And I had to go see two or three of our distribution centers. They come to our office and I asked him, I said, well, you spent a week trying to evaluate these divisions you went to and what do you think of us? And that was his expression. I throw so in the mail. He said, don't get sick. I said, what does that mean? He said, exactly what I said. I said, is that a compliment or an insult? He said, it's an insult. He said, it's, all, it's, all, it's all around you. Personally, I had good health. But businesses are vulnerable sometimes. Yeah, I had a second question, but I don't know if I'm supposed to hold that to later in the line. Let's uh, circle back so we can get through a few others real quick. We'll keep you on the list. I, I, all right, that doesn't hurt my feelings. That's fine. <laughs> is that a compliment or insult? <laughs> okay, Thomas is up next. Thomas, you want to pop in and say hello to Drayton? I would love to. First of all, hello from Southeast Asia. It's uh, around 0.30 at night, and I'm really pleased to be here and to listen. Wow, you look short. <laughs> yeah. At least I still have my shirt on. So um, my question is on fears. Are there any fears or anxieties you have regarding anything, your life, the world? And if so, what are they and why? And how do you deal with them? I've tried to make, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I want to build a great business. I wanted to have a good, good family. And then I wanted to, to have my Christian values, which are so important to me. And so I made sure I did all those. I worked hard Monday through, I worked Saturday morning till noon. But when I had two boys, and when I went home at noon, I told my wife, I'll manage them over the weekend. And so I got involved and certainly went to school events. And then we certainly went to, to church and, and Bible study on Sunday. So I had distinct parts of it. I don't think you can be just a businessman or you're not going to be a great businessman if you're all wrapped up in your family or you're all wrapped up in, in social events. And so I try to live an uncomplicated life. I see too many executives who are successful in their business, and they got a very complex life. My wife and I just we live in a town then of about 40,000. We did not spend a lot of time in social events. So it was focused on the business focus on my family and focus on, on my religious life. 
All right. Thank you. Is, uh, is there still, you said you had no fears really ever, but is that really a thing? Like not having fears or are there any fears that you could potentially see, even if you think at life on a bigger scale that goes beyond your personal life? If you um, are going to be a good entrepreneur and you really go out and do things, you got to have immense confidence. And we, we had one distribution center here in Texas and all of a sudden I said, we need to build a distribution center in Denver, Colorado. I didn't even know legally how to do business in another state. And uh, I just go after things boldly and be honest, don't hide anything, be extremely open. And I would not do anything that would violate my integrity and my honesty. And I'll be a little simple to you then. Uh, I told our executives I had three things that I was requiring them to do. We're bold. You can never do anything illegal or immoral, or you go to jail. If you're going to invest in something, just say you have $100. If you invest in it, don't bet the store on it. If you only have $100, bet $30 on it. And then if it blows up and blows your hair off of you and blows your shirt off of you, you're in great shape. You hadn't gone against the law legally or morally. You still got 70 bucks left. You only lost 30. And then you learned a great deal. So I'd make them sit down and tell me in great detail what they learned from that experience. Go into things and then say, I'd say, we don't know everything about this but we'll correct it as we go. I love charging into things. All right. We're going to move on to the next question. Thank you, Thomas. The next is Max Levy. Max is calling in from Barcelona, but he's from Houston, Texas. Your neck of the woods. I know, Max. You know, uh-oh, uh-oh. Max, do you want to turn on your microphone and come and say hi? Good to see you again, Drayton. <laughs> wow, Max. You run off. <laughs> is that Yeah. Are you from the grocery supply family? Uh, no, actually, but uh, I do see their suite at the rodeo every year. Oh, okay. Well, they were the grocery supply family was the Levitt family in Houston. I knew they were one of our fierce competitors, and we were big buddies. No, uh, unfortunately, I'm not in the grocery game, but I do want to pick your brain and get a little bit of your wisdom. But first and foremost, though, I do want to thank you for contributing to that to our, you know, Houston Astros franchise and helping us get to another championship. It's always great to spend another year on top. Yeah. So question for you, if you had to start your life over again without your family's grocery company, uh, how would you get back to a billion dollars? find something that really interests me and I get excited about it and I get deeply involved in it and learn that business from the ground up. Go visit all the competitors I could get in and find out how they're doing their business and then get into the business and then start trying to add value. And the main thing is, is to add to your executives and to your customers confidence that Trust me, we're going to go places. And I, and I told a lot of our executives, I sometimes didn't pay them a great deal of money. I said, there's going to be a gold mine someday and we're going to get there. And they said, where is that? I said, I have no idea, but we'll get there. But it took 30 something years. But get in the business and learn the business. Don't in 
invest in anything or get involved in something unless you're willing to get in it and totally understand that business and, and redesign it. Yeah, I love that. Can, can I say one more thing? The other caller I asked about being bold. If you have success as an entrepreneur, you gain confidence. And don't get too overconfident. But in, in 1992, as the white scholar said, I bought the Houston Astros. They were major league baseball teams. I had been to three major league games in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know things about that. I remember the commissioner said, what qualifies you to do? I said, well, I'm a quick learner. Get in the business. Talk to the people. I went to George Steinbrenner and other people that had been in the baseball business for a long time and just learn from them. Don't be afraid to get into something that you don't understand. Take it a few steps at a time and learn the business. I got into it and devoted full time to it for about three years. So don't be afraid to take a big chance. Amen to that. Anything else, Max? Yeah, I, I also I had a couple other questions, but I don't want to cut some people off. Let's... Uh... Well, let's dive into a couple more and we'll circle back to you and Adam both because I think you had both had a couple more questions. So next up, uh, Tim Joyner. Tim is calling in from South Carolina. Tim, hop on, turn on your video and microphone and say hello. Great, and it's Tim Joyner from Greenville. It's nice to meet you. Thanks for making yourself available to us today. Well, thank you. I like your airplane in the background. Thank you. I aspire to, to own that airplane someday. I don't have it yet, but... You got to have goals. I did that That's too. That's right. <laughs> Good. Hey, you you obviously have grown your wealth dramatically from there, there's a big difference between where you are today and where you were. And I wonder what kinds of changes that's made in your day-to-day -day life, like in your friends and in the ways that you spend your time and the kinds of things that you spend your money on. Like how has that wealth changed you and how have you handled all that growth? Uh, I talked earlier First, figure out what, before you get into a business, figure out what your values are. What do you want to look like 30 years from now as a human being? And set down your values and what you want to do and what kind of business you want to be in and how you want people to look at you. I bought the Houston Astros. Houston is 185 miles from here. And I never moved to Houston. I know when I first bought them, the leadership in Houston said, you're moving to Houston. I had two sons in high school, and I said, well, they're in high school. When they get out of high school, maybe I'll move to Houston. They got out of high school, and I said, well, they're in college. When they get out of college, I'll, I'll move. And they got out of college, and I still didn't move. But I had an apartment in Houston. Spent a lot of time knew thousands of people in Houston. But I still related to Temple, Texas. You are who you are. And I try, I've tried to stay the same, still go to the same church. I've been married for 50 years, and I still have, uh, I'm getting older, but I, so i got to get younger friends now. But I still have mainly friends that I have before. Don't let success spoil you. One of the things that was important to me all the way through my career, I had mentors. And if, if I could just share this with you, and I would encourage you all to get mentors. And how I selected a mentor, my rule was they had to be smarter than I was. And that was easy to do. So I could find I wasn't very smart. So most people want to be around somebody that they're very comfortable with. 
with and they can take over and all that. I like to be around people that just scare me to death and mm. really talk to me. So I got mentors. It had to be smarter than I was. They had could not be any relationship to me. It could be an aunt or uncle or, or that because those people tell you what you want to hear. If you want a mentor, you need to get somebody that really tells you, said, where did you get those crazy socks you got on? Those are stupid. <laughs> uh, and, so I, I had a series of mentors over the years, and I would go see them. And I had one of them that was really a great. He was an intellectual lived in Chicago. His name was Michael Connor, and, and I'd go see him three or four times a year. He'd say, don't bring an agenda. You're going to come up here, and you're going to want me to try to solve your problems. And that's not what we're here for. We're here to expand your mind and get you to see things that you haven't seen before. But one of his themes were, he said, 85 to 90% of the people that become successful lose. He said, look at politicians, ministers, look look, look at entertainers, look at baseball players or whoever. They, they get all absorbed by themselves. He said, stay grounded, stay grounded. Be who you were before all this happened. And I said goals I wanted to achieve. That gets you up early in the morning. That's how I got getting up at 4.30 in the morning. I set goals to work for. Don't let success change you. Look how many business people make a lot of money and they, they, they've been divorced now four times and they got all kinds of messes. Make it simple. Make it uncomplicated. Stay who you are. Yeah, thank you. Can I just ask one quick follow-up question to that? Sure. You talked about having same friends. I, that's one of the particular things that I'm interested in because as my business has grown, but the kinds of problems that I have are very different from the problems of the people that I went to school with, the people that I've been friends with for a long time, the kinds of opportunities open to me are different. The things that interest me are different. And I've just found it challenging to maintain those friendships just because our interests have changed. So do you have any advice? Well, try to stay grounded and get down. I have a lot of friends here and they want to talk about raising cattle and they want to talk about, you know, routine high school football. So I'll talk about that with them. So you need to stay grounded there, but get some people that stir you up. I had another consultant one time said, you know, you try to make everybody happy. He said, it's really good. You ought to get really mad about somebody or someone else. Or you need you need business problems that really stir you up. He said that's when the intellectual capacity takes over. And can I tell you one other thing he told me one time too? He said once a month you should have lunch with somebody you really, really don't like. <laughs> that's and a good said, one. He said, you don't like, or you, you like him personally, but you don't like his ideas. And he said, as, as a leader, you get narrow as you get successful. You get narrow, and it gets narrower and narrower and narrower. Look at our society today. And, and he was telling me this 30 years ago. He said, as you get successful, you get narrow, you get your people, you're around narrow, and your thoughts are narrow, and that. He said, Go out once a month and, and talk to somebody you really, really don't like. He said, it teaches you understanding. And he said, you're going to get some pretty darn good ideas 
So I love that. Can I make that recommendation to you? <laughs> Tim, I'm going to hold you to that. I know Tim pretty well. Like so, so we're going to, we're going to see you do that, Tim. <laughs> I like it. Thank you. You got to expand your thoughts. Absolutely. You get narrow with success. It's a really good, advice. Thank it's a really good point. It's a really good point. Up next, we have Sebastian Marshall and Drayton. I, I believe Sebastian's calling in from Singapore. I think that's where he lives. Sebastian, go ahead and turn on your video and, and microphone and say hello. Yeah, I'll, I'll be in California tomorrow, but it's uh, it's two in the morning. I'm in Tokyo right now. Our CTO is uh, married to a Japanese national, and so they're out here. They had a baby, so I was coming out here to work with him. And uh, yeah, but I'll be back in the States tomorrow. Hey, thanks for doing this, and, and thank you for inviting me, Chris. It's been a wonderful time. You know, one thing that's really intriguing, you know, you've been in, in different businesses that had probably such different personality types in them, you know, when, when you're doing wholesale, retail, you got logistics people, when you're, when you're trying to hire executives, managers, specialists in these different fields, how do you balance the mix of like hard factors? This person's got this credential, has succeeded in this way, put up these numbers. This person was a good salesperson, would they be a good sales chief? with like soft factors, you know, this person's easy to work with, this person's a good leader and so on and so forth. And then has that changed over the eras? Was that different? Did you need to look for different stuff in the sixties than the eighties, than the nineties and in different decades? Are you seeing people are different? You're looking for people that either fit in with the era or go against the era. I bet you got a wealth of insight on this and and so many different fields and across such a a long time period of success. It's just very, very interesting. You're talking about how to select. That's right. Uh, I see it's two ways to look at it. If you're an entrepreneur and you're starting a small business, don't hire a guy that's 50 years old that's been in that business. I hire young people and I teach them what I want to do. If they've been in business, they bring a lot of thoughts of their own. So I I would hire young people out of college or... just people, I found truck drivers. I thought, boy, that guy can do a whole lot more than, than he thinks he can do. And so as an entrepreneur, I developed talent. And I remember we were doing a billion dollars, and I was in my late 40s or early 50s. And all, most of them were in their 30s running the company. We brought these guys up from the bottom, and they helped set the goals. They helped set the routines of what we were doing, and we did that. When you bring somebody in from this highly experienced into an organization, he's going to want to change it to fit his his way of doing things. So I understand if you're, you're buying a business and you, you don't have the time or you're not going to run it, you do need to get the experience exactly, but he's going to mold it from his experience. But if you're an entrepreneur and you're going to build companies, Young anything else, Sebastian? Yeah, anything uh, Anything particular you look for? You know, is it, uh, you looking for a lot of conscientiousness for the person's like always on time? You're looking for some raw ability, unique ideas, how well they work with you? What would you say the top factors are that you're looking for when you're identifying people like that? You want some people that have skills and particularly, uh, I remember, uh, boy, I'm very orderly. Boy, I've got everything programmed and I, so I'm guilty of trying to hire people that do that. But you do need to, to hire in your organization some that kind of rock the boat every day. I remember we were building our company and we were doing about two or $300 million And we didn't have a good accounting system. So I hired a really sharp 
CPA, and he worked for us for over 25 years. I don't think he ever really knew what we did, but he was great in accounting systems and control systems and audits and borrowing from the bank. Uh, he, he was good at that. Everybody said if, if Sandy ever figured out what we did, he'd really be good. But Sandy stirred us up. So uh, again, would try. Uh, I look for people that have a great work ethic that want to be somebody. So many people just get happy. They're happy who they are, where they go. I tell people I want to get somebody that just never really satisfied where he is. I'm that way. I'm never satisfied with where I am. And, and how do we how do we make this better? And in the food logistic industry. It was pretty safe, and we did creative, and we did a bunch of things that didn't work. But we did them and got out of it and readjusted. People like that. People people like to be in a company where you're doing creating, you're on the move, and they can rise up. Just one other thing is entrepreneur. When you're doing $100 million, this guy was a good executive for you. All of a sudden, you're doing three hundred million, and this guy just can't move up. Then you've got to have the courage. I too many people keep moving this guy up, and now they're doing five hundred million, and he his competency just doesn't grow. Uh, so you have to do one of two things: explain to that person that you're going to have to bring somebody in over him, and he needs to stay at a uh, a responsibility at this level of, of 100 million, and we've got to bring somebody in, or either dismiss it. And that's not easy to do to say to some executive that worked really hard with you for five years and say, We're going to have to move someone in over you as we grow the business. That's hard to do, but you got to have the courage. Uh, so, you know, if you're going to win, you win with talent and, and bringing. Are, are recognizing that that you rise above. In Texas, high school football is a big deal. And I remember my oldest son was a freshman in high school, and there were there were over 120 people who came out for high school football as a freshman. When he graduated as a senior, 17 level lettered on his team. So it went from 120 to 17. They kept moving up because they had the talent and the skills to do it. Business is the same way. Mm. As businesses rise, you've got to get better talent. And you, so you have to have the courage to go to people and say, you're a good person. You were great when we were at this level. We're going to keep you there, but we're going to bring some more talent in. It's hard to do. Hey, sir. Thank you, Sebastian. Up next, we have Stuart Townsend. Stuart, if you want to pop in, Stuart has a question about going from retail business to owning a baseball team. Turn on your mic and video, Stuart, and say hello. Hello. Hi, Dresden. Great to meet you. Hi, um, I mean, from sunny England, everybody else seems to be in more exotic places, so. <laughs> Um, or rainy England. Yeah, as, as Chris was saying, it's interesting you've um, grown a, a national retail business and then moved to owning and running um, a, a 
the Astros. So were, were there any lessons or any components from that business that you brought into the baseball team um, that you could share with us or, or vice versa? Well, uh, as you go into another business, I've gotten in several different businesses and that was a baseball team, but we'll use baseball as an example. I couldn't bring executives from the grocery business that were very talented and really great and put them in the baseball. So I had to get into the baseball and I hired, first thing I did was a two or three retired baseball executives. And I would come in and, and I would, and, and uh, I'd, I'd say to one, one I hired, his name was Sal Smith. And I got in a room with him. I said, tell, tell me all that I need to know about baseball. He said, you only need to know three things. I said, what? He said, you only need to know three things. He said, baseball is pitching, speed, and defense. I said, what? And he, he, oh, he was right. That's how you get great teams. He had it boiled down to three three things. So get in a business and don't try to translate because this guy was good in the grocery business. You're going to put in the manufacturing. Business. It doesn't work. You, if you go into a new business, you're going to have to get people that really understand the business you're getting into and can give you thoughts and ideas. Makes sense. Go, goes back to your point as well about not bringing – you know, people want to sort of lay their mark, don't they? And they bring their own friends in the sales teams. But yeah, that's you, what, that's what you, you see a lot of guys buy and they bring totally different business and they bring a lot of talent from this business because they you trust them, you, you believe them, and that. you put them over here and, and generally it's not going to work. And so I did, I had a number of the executives in the grocery business that wanted to become a baseball executive, but I, I thought, man, that'll be able to see. So I did not do that. I, I got in and found good leaders that taught me the baseball business. Perfect. Thank you very much. That was great. Great. And I, uh, I have a question. What do you think about when you get up in the morning? What's that? Like we all have a like, burning desire that keeps us motivated, you know, and and I'm curious for you, what's a, what's a thing that gets you out of bed and keeps you going in the morning? I try to set goals before I go to bed. Before I leave the office every day, I take out my yellow pad and I write seven or eight things that I need to do the next day. And I try to make appointments for various reasons with people. And I said, I'll be in your office at nine o'clock tomorrow. So get up and say, I got to get going. He lives in Chicago. I got to get, get in Chicago by nine o'clock today. So I, I put things in front of me that I don't have to hustle to get there. So I try to write down, and I have an assistant, Brenda, and she's probably got, for the next eight or ten weeks, almost every lunch is already filled in and and travel is filled in. And and so I don't leave myself much uh, for spontaneous. But you got to get up and get going. And like today, I had jurors at, at 10 o'clock today, and I had another meeting conference called at 9 30 this morning and i got another noon today so set goals spiritual value to me is very important it's got to be something bigger than who, who you are i learned from those we learn about moving around that's why i like to move around and travel just to do that and when i was running mcclain i traveled three to four days every week 
but I look forward to spending the weekend with my family or friends or doing something. What got me going? I, I jogged for over 40 years. I jogged three or four times every week. You usually do that in the morning? Yeah, I do it like 4.30 or 5 in the morning. And people say, oh, you're doing it for your health. I said, baloney. I'm doing it for my mental health. Yeah, and, keep your brain you know, going. You could, go run, you could go run for two or three miles and you came back. Found like a, you were sweating. You found like dollars. <laughs> you felt good. And I thought, you know, there are 2,000 people living in my house. I just ran in my neighborhood. I said, there are 2,000 people. How's the only guy out here doing this? Yeah. And, and, and it, so do things that get you really going, get you stirred up. And, and if you just have Trump business all day, it burns you out. But inject some other things. I get involved in a lot of different kinds of boards. I've been chairman of the United Way several times. I've been chairman of the Chamber of Commerce. I'm deeply involved with Salvation Army and other projects that help other people. That really gives you a good feeling. Yeah. I know we're going to get you out of here in a second. Just wrap up with a couple of questions. No, this is too much fun. Keep going. Okay, we'll keep going. I'll pay you. I'll, pay you. <laughs> I'll take that $500 back you charged me for putting a microphone closer to you earlier. No, you know that the entrepreneur opportunities, entrepreneurial opportunities have changed significantly in the past 20 years with the internet age and, and the things that we deal with are in many ways much different than what you were dealing with in your wholesale business. But what inspires you about younger entrepreneurs today? And then what scares you about the younger generation of entrepreneurs? It's more complicated today with technology, with computers, because there's so much data out there. You know, when I started in the 1960, you know, there, I graduated from with an MBA and Mission State didn't even have a computer. Can you imagine that? So, <laughs> yeah, the manually do everything. Uh, but then it was simpler than it is today. And, and just as your group here is all literally all over the world at odd hours, this is a complicated world today. But I try to say to all of the executives I work with, it takes very little extra effort to differentiate yourself from your competitor. Yeah. It really takes very little. That's true. That's true. To do that and then expand your ideas. And there's not just one way to do things. There's several ways to do things. If, if you, you know, looking at the opportunities that are out there today, say you had to start over and you couldn't get into the grocery business or baseball business, what do you? What interests you? What do you think you would do? Uh, I, I thought about that a great deal, and you know, where, where chance is a lot of things. Getting into baseball was a, an executive in Houston calling me and asked me if I'd be interested in buying the Astros. I told him I was going to hang up on him, <laughs> and I just thanked him and I said I had no interest whatsoever. And I got to think about. It. I said, "Well, that might be interesting. I'll go to Houston and talk about it." So it was. It was. It was. We happen across things. Very few of us are extremely creative. Look at Amazon. It's hard to remember now. You remember how they started? Books. Uh, books, yeah. They books. Yeah, yeah, books. They focused on that. that. That was all it was. And look at it today. So it's, it's getting ideas, and that's how we learn being 
travel all you can, move around as much as you can. And your your group here is all over the world. You ought to get them to express your thoughts and ideas. I've, I've built grocery distribution centers literally all over the world. And it's just fascinating to, to do that and use ideas and principles. But there's always going to be a better idea to to move into it. Just look at this. Uh, I might try some kind of retailing. Not sure which might be the food business, which I I would be partial to. Or I think one of the better ones is I might get into this. Going to sound crazy in farming in produce. Everybody else wants to raise. I have a ranch and has a lot of cattle on it. That's interesting. It's not really mentally challenging. Uh, the produce business, and you say, why the produce business? Is because if you don't harvest that lettuce today and get it to the retail store in four or five days, it's worthless. It's perishable. Yeah. So in the distribution business, we dealt with a lot of produce. And I told our executives, in the produce business, I want you to visualize that I'm handing you a stick of dynamite with a fuse with it. <laughs> and our goal is to get into where they want that stick of dynamite before it blows up in our hand. Yeah. And so I, I would like something like the, the produce business because that's healthier type foods. And how do we motivate people to, to eat this and enjoy it? And, and how can we improve the distribution? Because it's very costly to but we got one question that came up here that I thought was really interesting, and I'll let him back in. Adam Anderson, if you want to come back in, he's got a question about, and Adam gets some crazy ideas. He wants to create his first, the first whiskey distillery on the moon, and uh, and and he yeah, also come to Texas, he might make a lot of money here. Yeah, I think he's yeah. been down around that way. And then uh, he's got a question. I'll let him ask. Adam, come on in and ask your question, buddy. Well, yes. So we, we are doing some interesting things. I've found that uh, I'm fascinated by space and space economy and space manufacturing. And the, you know, what we're leading with is entertainment and luxury. And so to me, the economy follows what people are interested in and people love sports. And so I went through my head and was like, well, all right, we can put an inflatable arena on a dragon capsule. And I can throw some guys up there and we can live stream it. And <laughs> a lot of what you're saying resonates with me because I have literally no idea how to do any of the things I just told you, except I know I'll figure it out. And you know what my question is, is you almost answered it already, but if you can explore it a little bit more, moving into something that's absolutely outside of your wheelhouse, something that other people might think is crazy, and you have 100% confidence in yourself that you're going to do it. And that you're going to be great at it, you know. How do you how, how do you navigate that? Or better yet, what advice would you give me to start a space uh, sporting event? I, I touched on this before. I encouraged our executives, and we got in McLean, we got brilliant ideas from people that had only been with us two or three years. They said, "Why not? Why not do this?" And remember, I said before, I wanted people to come up with ideas like you're talking about. Is it honest yeah. and honorable and is it legal? You gotta figure that out first because there are a lot of bad things you can do. Number two, don't bet the farm on it. Don't bet everything on it. As I said, if, if, if you've got some wealth, don't spend more than 10 or 15% on it. So if it doesn't work, 
you, you have the courage to walk away from it. And then if it works, then start talking about how do I expand it. Uh, one of the lessons that, that a consultant told me when I bought a baseball team, he said, don't fall in love with baseball. Don't fall in love with, with baseball. Don't fall in love with the game. You'll lose your perspective. And don't fall in love with players. It's awful easy to fall in love with you know, a great player. He said, don't do that. Your job is owning the team. And your real objective is to get 50,000 people to 81 home games. That's hard mm. to do. So mm. you've got to focus and 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 they don't want you to take wrong. But this is I said, you're really in the entertainment business. You're not in the baseball business. Then That's right. You get great players, but you don't get the fans to support you and come to the games and pay four times for a beer there that they can go to the grocery <laughs> store and buy. He, he said you're in the entertainment business. So that's what I really focus on. I could have hired baseball people that could figure out who's going to be a good relief pitcher. I was in the entertainment business. And so one of the first things they were in, the, we were in the Astrodome, which was the first dome stadium in the world. But, you know, creative thing. But it wasn't a fun place for baseball. So I, I felt and started working, and we built a brand new ballpark in downtown Houston. So don't fall in love with the business. Don't fall in love with players. Or I've seen in business, you know, where you've got a really hot shot executive out there. Don't fall in love with him either. Um, but keep your mind on the big objective, and don't be afraid of don't be afraid of making mistakes. I encourage people to make mistakes. Well, I, I got to be a little careful about mistakes in outer space. <laughs> yeah, <anyway. laughs> harsher sure consequences for that <laughs> you know, in, in baseball I would, we signed several people for a hundred million dollars over five years you would Woo. never do that in business you know, oh. they can break away they can have an elbow surgery they, they can do a bunch of things and so and you sure can't take insurance on it uh, or their skills diminish seen it in every sport. So you got to be daring somewhere. That's what that's where entrepreneurs come from. It's very true. Very true. Well, thank you very much. Okay. Tim has a question. Drayton. Tim, you want to hop in? He wants to ask about uh, entrepreneurial parents and raising children. Yeah, sure. You talked about growing up in the family business and some of the things you learned from your dad. And then you talked about having boys and wanting to keep them there uh, in temple. I'm curious what advice you have for those of us on this call that have, or, or they're listening to the podcast that have kids today. We run various entrepreneurial ventures. What would you tell us about uh, advice for parenting our kids? Set values. Faith is important in, in our family. And so we got our, our, our children involved in, in, in the church and, Bible study and youth groups and things like that. Uh, then make sure your 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 children don't just have a small clique of friends, but they have a wide variety. I'm a big believer in public schools. I went to a public school. My sons went to a public school, and 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 my grandchildren are going to public school. Because public school 
is a mix of what life is all about. And uh, I think public schools are really, really important. But give good values to your children and then introduce your children to two or three adults that you know that have a big perspective in life and and take them to have lunch with those guys and, and expose them to the good and evil part of life where they're not figuring it out on their own. Uh, the one beautiful thing my dad did, my dad never asked me if I was going to come into family business. Never asked me that. I had to ask him for the job. My two sons, my wife and I told them that we would pay for their college. But when they graduated, they had to get their first job on their own. We weren't going to help them. And they had to work somewhere for five years and whatever whatever they wanted to do. And if they ever wanted to work with us, they had to call us. We weren't going to call them. I've just seen too many children get pushed into businesses they really didn't like. Life is wonderful. Let them get out on their own and figure out what they want to do. Thank you. Shake them or say, I'm doing this for you. They said, no, you're not dad. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Drayton, I got to ask, uh, we're going to get you out of here here in a second, but I got to ask the, the question that everybody has to ask you. And I'm sure you've been asked it a million times. What, what's great about having a billion dollars and what's horrible about having a billion dollars. It's the emails and phone calls you get every day. (laughs) They are galore. And, you know, we, we do a wide variety of charitable contributions in both church and, and, and schools and narrowing it down to where, you know, you, you can't solve every problem and you can't be in every social need. So you have to pick a few that you think are important to you and you work through those. But you have to say no to a lot of people and, and they'll say, well, got money, why can't you help us in this cause? So that, that's being responsible. The Lord blesses you and you're responsible, so you have to give back, and we believe in that strongly. That, that's one, one of the things, is in social groups, just to be accepted for who you are. And you want to be around people that want to be around you. They don't want to try to influence. When you get that airplane, it was on your wall back there. People are going to want to say, why don't we go to Las Vegas this weekend? <laughs> and you say, they don't really like me. They like our airplanes. So get around socially people who accept you for who you are. Good point. What do you think, what's one book every entrepreneur should read, Drayton? Oh, boy, that's, that's uh, how about a very scholarly book it was written about 20 years ago. Who Moved My Cheese? It's a good one. Have any of you ever read that? Yeah, that's a good one. It's about 20 pages. It's all about <laughs> a thousand. Read that book. Take, take, it, it doesn't take you 30 minutes. Uh, read that book. That'll, that'll show you how life is done. That's a timeless classic for sure. Yeah, I agree. And I, I did make sure my children read it. Our executive, about every three years, they say, oh, not again. And we'll have a two-hour lesson. What what we learn from this? And we'll have some young executives that will give us a new insight. Uh, 
do do things that are important to you. And, and as a Christian, the Bible is by far the most important thing. When I, I go to a, a men's Sunday school class every every week, and it's amazing what you'll learn in your perspective. And just be who you are. Mm-hmm. And don't have all of these things you have hanging around you. My car is is 12 or 13 years old. Really? And, yeah. And I enjoy it. And because everybody passes me going so fast. Look at that old man. He, <laughs> he, so, and I don't get speeding tickets. Yeah. <laughs> they don't pull an old car over. Yeah. Uh, be who you are and maintain relationships and then invest your time wisely. That's you back to the question what why do you get up? I try it, it works for me, but others have different ways. Really schedule yourself to you gotta be here and here and here. And and Brenda, my assistant, threatened me that I was in another meeting at nine thirty. I better have my rear end in here. Uh oh she was gonna shoot me. Uh oh, uh oh. So, so we'll so, we'll get you wrapped up so you can make it on time. <laughs> no, 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 no. That was nine thirty with one and yours was at ten. Oh, okay. And get an assistant that says you can't do that. This is what you've committed to do. Yeah. Overcommit yourself. We're, we get in traps when we have too much free time. Yeah, that's a really good point. And uh and I can appreciate that answer. Who are the uh, uh younger entrepreneurs out there that you keep your eyes on that you think we should watch uh, from a younger generation? What's the biggest corporation in the history of the world? Well, Catholic Church? No, no. No? Or the biggest business in the history of the world? And, and I'll, I'll do it. It's Walmart. Walmart, yeah. yeah. But it's in a small town in, in, in North Arkansas. Back in the mountains. They're going to they're gonna do over six hundred billion this year. Wow! And it was started by one guy. He didn't start until nineteen sixty-two. Doug McMullen is the CEO of Walmart, and and they they've got one point nine million employees. They'd like to do that, and they got them all over the world. And he runs it from a small town in Bentonville, Arkansas, and and he has a degree from the University of Arkansas. I've known him for a long time. He came up through the logistics side of Walmart. And you know, I just looked at him, and and I'm just amazed how how they run something that that monstrous all over the world. And so so he is really really a, a capable person that you should look at. But but there are a lot of other uh, good executives. Most good executives I give them credit for are entrepreneurs. You know, Doug didn't start Walmart. That was started by. Sam Walton and David Glass, and there was three others before Doug. Doug stepped in a big company that had unbelievable momentum. The real neat guy is a guy that started with nothing. Yeah. And and built it from scratch. Yeah. That, that, yeah. that and, and there, 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 there's little guys everywhere. Yeah. There's something to say about that skill set and then that type of uh, entrepreneur that just comes from nothing and, and build something really incredible. And, and you know, my there's head. a lot of great executives that get into companies that are super well run and they got skills and build, but I love the guys that started with a little or nothing and look what he built. 
Yeah. Actually our friend Paul, like he was an orphan, right? Started off with nothing and and built yes. his his empire. Oh, well. yep. yep. Drayton, uh, this and has been he, have you had Paul on this program? Yeah, I, I tried to get him on quite a few times and he keeps rejecting me. I don't know. He referred you. He said, Drayton, you should go on this show, but I'm not going to go on. He keeps telling me I have nothing to talk about, but he, uh, he I, know, he I know, I know. He's successful in several businesses. He created two from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys were partners there for a while too, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So I've learned a great deal. You guys have fired me up. I Good. got in order. <laughs> I love that you're in Spain and your your group is literally all over the world. Yeah, that's the, the age that we live in. It's so nice because, you know, we're not just connected by local communities. We're really connected by like-minded interests and we can do things on a regular basis. Like, you know, Paul came with us to Morocco and we had a group of us. We went to Morocco and it's from people from all over California, Canada, Europe. So it's, it's pretty neat. So we're, we're time here and uh, I want to give you a huge thank you for coming on the show. It's so great to, to pick your mind and thanks for letting these guys on the, on the podcast as well, pick your brain and get some great wisdom out of you. I know you have a bunch of projects going on. Is there anything that we can do or keep in the back of our minds or the listeners can do that could support you or reach out and, and help you and collaborate in some way? Just let us know if there's anything that you're looking for support sure. in and we can we can do. Guys, can I give support? Stay humble. No matter where you are, stay humble. Don't get caught up in yourself. And stay within a group that keeps you humble. You need to readjust. I live in a relatively small town, and my wife and I work hard not to stand out. And, and we stay humble. And, and it really, you live your life, really separate yourself and set higher and higher standards for yourself. Mm. Good point. Good point. Okay. Any anything we can look out for to support you in any other way besides being humble and setting high high standards? And, and our friend and, and keep charging. And it's entrepreneurs that create a new world. Very true. You ever, you ever look at your iPhone and it should have been invented by AT and T? No, I've never thought about that, but that's a really good point. Yeah. They had, they had Bell Labs. They had all this research. Just an entrepreneur in California. <laughs> and who else did it steal? The camera. Kodak is bankrupt and out of business. Kodak yeah. should have invented that. They yeah. And, and you're just, or Xerox should have invented. You know, computers have eliminated copy machines pretty much. It, it's an inventive world. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We're going to wrap up there. And uh, again, Drayton, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate your time. You've got a good group there. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it there. I like them as well. So we're going to wrap up there, listeners. Thank you guys. And we'll see you on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners. Thanks for joining us. And once again, we wanted to remind you about our adventures and trips for entrepreneurs in our private community. 
If you enjoy luxury trips to the Caribbean, going on bucket list adventures around the world, or just traveling to connect with other established entrepreneurs, then be sure to subscribe to our newsletter to stay connected at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. Thanks for joining the show today, and we'll see you on the next episode.